Hi, I'm Michael Stiddle. And I'm Nick Danos. And welcome to Trendline. Uh, Nick, COVID-19 rates are relatively low in Canada. Uh, so far, so good. And live events are coming back. So what, what are you most looking forward to seeing? Well, talking with my wife, uh, we're looking to going to some live arts and cultural events, mm. but uh, also got an email from, I, I have tickets for the Ottawa Athletico, got an email about their season opener. Oh, great. Means that uh, for the Canadian Premier League team in Ottawa. So I'm looking forward to hopefully catching some games, some live soccer games in person. I shouldn't say live, in person. In so, person, finally. Yes. It's been so long. This is great. Uh, so in this episode, we're going to talk about, um, you know, the, the need for possibly va uh, vaccine certificates, vaccine passports in order to continue to enjoy the, these live events. Uh, we're also going to do our five-ish minutes of politics. We'll talk about uh, Mark Carney uh, and what how the pandemic may affect uh, Elections Canada. Uh, but first, yeah, so there's, there's a lot of political pressure now, uh, especially, you know, uh, from Canadians who want to travel internationally and and uh, and find that they need uh, you know a real vaccine passport, a vaccine certificate. So the prime minister ha has addressed that he's working on it, but but there seems to be a delay in this. I mean, what's what's the political risk for this? Well, there's significant political risk, and you know, the, and also the issue of some Canadians having problems going to countries because they mixed and match their mm -hmm. passports. They don't have two of the same passports, like two Pfizer or two Moderna, and they're running into that. Uh, complication. And I think we just heard, Michael, that uh, over the last couple of days that Quebec is going to be offering triple shots. That's right. Does it sound like it's happy hour someplace in Quebec? Like <laughs> triple shots are open if you need it. <laughs> Anyways, so, you know, what we're what we're seeing at least is, uh, and I, I think what the risk is, is let's face it, Canadians have done, most Canadians have done exactly what public health authorities and our politicians have asked them. Mm -hmm. Politicians and public health authorities have told Canadians, go out, get two vaccinations. It's okay and acceptable and perhaps even good to mix and match your vaccinations. So Canadians in good faith have done that. And then all of a sudden they think they're fully vaccinated and that they can, for example, visit a friend or a loved one or go on a vacation. And then they find out that that particular country that they want to go to does not accept the two vaccinations because they're not from the same uh, not, not from the same pharmaceutical company. So I think it's a problem. And I think uh, Justin Trudeau not only has to try to fix this, because this was guidance kind of from not the federal government, but the federal public health authorities. Mm -hmm. uh, but, uh, you know, look, Quebec's stepping up, at least and trying to offer uh, another shot. I guess we've heard that there's no downside so far in getting a, a third shot, but it just speaks to... Uh, what I'll say, the complications on this uh, on this vaccination is kind of like taking two steps forward, literally, literally taking two steps forward, getting your double vaccination, mm -hmm. and then taking a step back because you think you can visit a loved one in the United States or go go to your go on your honeymoon or visit a friend in another country, and then you find out that you know what, that country doesn't think you're really fully vaccinated because you've mixed and matched. I mean, I, and our own prime minister has mixed and matched. I think he did AstraZeneca and Moderna, which full disclosure, yeah. say, same for me. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a mix and match. I've got Moderna and Pfizer, but, you know, so the prime minister's traveling. Are they stopping him at the border? Mm -hmm. I don't know. That no, hasn't happened. He made it to uh, the G7, okay? So, yeah, so, yeah. So I, 
you know, we, so he says that, you know, the federal government is in charge of international uh, vaccine passports, let's say, but, but at a provincial level, we're getting to a point where, you know, restaurants uh, aren't sure if they should let fully vaccinated people in or whether legally they, they can bar people who are not fully vaccinated. It's a really murky area for them. So why aren't the provinces, uh, or at least more provinces, stepping up with more of an official vaccine certificate? Well, you know, first of all, I, I think the, the default is to wait for some guidance from the federal government, because you know what, Michael, whoever makes a decision is going to get the blow black, blow mm. black if, it, if it really kind of goes sideways. Mm-hmm. So if the feds make a decision and it's not popular or doesn't work, the feds will be blamed with it. But the thing is, is that we, Canada is not in isolation. There are other countries doing things. For example, in France, of all places, you need a vaccination passport to eat inside of a restaurant and to go to the cinema and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And now we're hearing from the United States, land of the free, right? Where governments in the United States are starting to make it mandatory for employees to get vaccinated. We see in, the, in Texas, health workers being laid off because they refuse to get vaccinated. So it's gonna be interesting to see how there are other countries that you might think might be a little more uh, focused on freedom and the freedom mm-hmm. of citizens taking stern measures to control the uh, the pandemic. And then for uh, Canadians to be, I'll say governments thumb wrestling to figure out what we're gonna do uh, on the vaccination certification side. Uh, speaking of the, the political risk or blowback, as he said, Ontario Premier uh, Doug Ford, fully aware of that. Everyone gets their, their proof when they get the vaccination. You're right. Anything can be fraudulent, right down from money to uh, certifications. I, I just, no, we aren't doing it. Sim- simple as that. Uh, and uh, we're, we're just going to move forward. Now, if it's federal, uh, getting across the border, that's up to the federal government. But uh, the answer is no, we aren't going to do it. We aren't going to have a split society. Nikki, that's a pretty hard stance he's taken. Oh, exactly. And, you know, the other the other sad thing about all of this is that uh, what seems to be the case is that now the people that are being affected most by the pandemic are those that are not vaccinated. So, you know, they're, they're the ones that really should get vaccinated. The reality is, is that this is a minority of people. Uh, but, you know, it looks like, for example, that uh, Premier Ford is, is not willing to take this on. Uh, this might have a lot to do with his uh, bad experience when he suggested that police officers should be stopping people if mm. they're outside of their homes. And uh, I think I think in fairness, for average Ontarians at least, to have a premier on one day propose that it's okay for the police to randomly stop individuals. And then on the other hand to say, you know, you can't, you shouldn't be obliged to have a proof of vaccination. Those two things, I don't think jive. Uh, mm. Because I think the, the proposed police intervention was much more invasive to human rights and civil rights than uh, having a vaccination card. And you know what? We do have mandatory vaccinations in Ontario and across the country for mumps, measles, and rubella for kids to go to school. And uh, it's mandatory. It's not optional. And th- the documentation is, uh, is, is mandatory. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nick, we're going to take a quick break. But after that, we'll talk about uh, politics, of course, uh, and uh, Mark Carney's uh, surprising decision. Nick, so uh, let's stay on the topic of the pandemic for a bit. Um, We are likely entering an election, I think any week now, the prime minister will call it. 
Um, how is this going to affect Elections Canada and the way that we vote? Well, think of it this way, mail voting. I think, hmm. does this sound exciting, riveting? <laughs> you notice there are crickets, Michael, playing right now. We're probably losing people in the podcast because we're talking about mail voting. But yeah. you folks, wake up, listen to this. <laughs> in the last federal election, out of 18.3 million ballots cast in 2019, about 55,000 were done by mail. And we recently did a survey uh, and we asked Canadians how interested or uninterested they, they were in voting by mail if there were an election this fall. And it might not sound like a big number. 37% of Canadians outright said that they're interested in voting by mail. If all of those folks voted by mail, Elections Canada would be counting not 55,000 ballots. Mm. By mail. They'd be counting a whopping 6.7 million ballots, right? Like that's, wow. a, that's a lot of going through, you know, that's a lot yeah. of this, a lot of this and making sure. So, uh, you know, the big question is, uh, it's going to be very important for Elections Canada to come up with some clear rules. When do ballots have to arrive? Uh, how will they be counted? When will they be reported? The last thing, like, because in the ideal world, all the ballots are announced at the same time, whether they're mm -hmm. in person or by mail. But to do that, what is the logistics of how soon ballots have to arrive and be certified by Elections Canada? in order for them to be counted. Are we gonna be kind of like the US, Michael, remember the US election? Oh yes, oh yeah. yeah. Donald Trump almost won on election night, but then the mail ballots came in. Yeah. And then we had, and you know, two different, uh, two different scenarios because of the two different modes of, uh, of voting. I remember you called that and, and it even fed into the, the, the strange conspiracy theory that, that the election was somehow, you know, stolen or whatever, because the results changed so dramatically between the people showing up at the polls and the mail-in ballots, which, which leads me to another question I wanted to ask you, Nick. I mean, which, which party might benefit most from the mail-in ballots? Well, we do know, so let's set aside whether mail or in person. We do know empirically based on research that's been done by Elections Canada that if someone, a voter tends to be older, that they're more likely to vote while younger people are less likely to vote. And, you know, who knows? Think of it this way. We're in a pandemic situation. Um, if, if mail voting is easy and if it's run well by Elections Canada, we may see a really big number of older voters decide not to go in person because they're worried about their personal health and take advantage of the convenience of voting by mail. Uh, so this could fundamentally change the composition. It's pollsters. We talk about the comp the composition of mm. who ends up voting. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, traditionally, if older voters vote, usually that helps the conservatives. Uh, when younger people come out and vote, that usually helps the more progressive parties, such as the Liberals and the New Democrats. Oh, so so we don't. I mean, we don't know for sure, but it but it's possible, I suppose, that on election night uh, we might be seeing more of uh, center and left parties leading, and the Conservatives behind, and then possibly when Elections Canada starts counting the mail-in ballots, that the Conservatives might see a, a slight bump in support later yeah. on. Could be closer, absolutely, yeah. uh, depending on how many uh, people vote by mail, and if it does tend to skew towards middle and older uh, age Canadians, for sure. Now, how we know, so, you know, it's, it's complicates things for Elections Canada, but how does it complicate things for you, Nick, uh, as a pollster? Yeah, well, it's 
it's, uh, it's going to complicate things on a number of levels. First of all, we're going to have to start to track, uh, you know, we'll be doing tracking with CTV in the Globe and Mail as we usually do every night, but we're also going to, we're also going to be tracking mail, mail versus in-person voting and the likelihood because uh, we need to do that in case there's a, a time, uh, different times that hmm. in-person voting results versus mail voting results are announced. If, uh, if all the votes are counted at the same time, then it's not really a big issue. But uh, if there's any scenario where not all the votes are counted uh, on election day, they're received on election day, but not all counted, then we might come out with numbers based on what we estimate to be the in-person uh, mm -hmm. result and numbers based on what we estimate to be the mail-in ballot result in order to be transparent. But it just adds another, uh, adds another complication to this. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm old school. I just like to do random sampling and have it representative and run the numbers. So it's just uh, another thing that we have to factor for. Another, mm -hmm. another potential risk uh, related to the reliability of, uh, of, of anyone doing research. Well, the election has not yet been called, or we are expecting it uh, soon-ish, let's say. Um, but we already have a potential liberal candidate decide that he's not running. Uh, in the last episode, we talked about uh, former Bank of Canada, former Bank of England Governor uh, Mark Carney. And he has emphatically said he's not running and he wants to um, you know, help fight climate change. Why, why do you think uh, he, he made this decision, Nick? Well, I think we have to take it at face value. Uh, we do know that he is uh, very committed to climate change and the environment. He probably is also enjoying uh, this role that he has um, compared to the past. And, you know, the other thing is, so why don't we say that's on the positive side of the ledger, taking what he's saying at face value and it ma it making a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. um, and I also think that if you, uh, if, if, he, if, if someone happens to be a star candidate, uh, you know, I'll say the dream scenario is to be a star candidate in a by-election, in a riding right. that, that the party, uh, the governing party uh, already already holds and you can kind of, uh, you know, it's kind of like they, the, sh the tanks roll in and <laughs> all of the opposition parties. And there are, yeah. there are a plentiful volunteers from ridings all, all in the whole region to come help in the by-election and you cruise to victory. Mm. So, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of like the dream scenario for many star candidates. And when you're running in a general election, you're one of 338. Hmm. And uh, there's not that same type of support. So I think there's a combination of both those things. The personal priorities of Mark Carney. And uh, I would also say the, uh, the politics of, uh, of, of being in an election. It's not a foregone conclusion that the Liberals are going to win or that it'll even be easy because it's too early to tell. Now, I, you know, the Liberals are waiting for the perfect time to to trigger an election, of course. Uh, now, how are things looking for Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole in his own stronghold of Alberta? Because I keep seeing, you know, these, these, I guess, Conservative alternative parties, I, I'm not sure how, how to refer to them, and, you know, popping up. Is he having trouble uniting his own support? Well, there's no trouble yet, but there are kind of things that Aaron O'Toole and conservative-minded Canadians should be worried about. We have to remember that the splitting of the Conservative Party under the old Reform Party and the Progressive Conservatives basically put the Liberals in power uh, for uh, for a decade. And you know what we do know right now is that uh, there are people within uh, Aaron O'Toole's own caucus 
who are kind of making grumblings and unhappy with some of the things that he've said. You know, these are, and he's got a caucus that is uh, very right wing uh, compared to mainstream conservative voters and also based in the West. And then he has to deal with the Maverick party, which is making noises, which is kind of like a regional protest party. And now mm. this past week, Derek Sloan. Yeah. We're saying this guy's name again. So Derek Sloan ran for the leadership, got 14% of the vote in mm -hmm. the leadership on the first ballot and then was uh, punted off mm -hmm. uh, or 14 or 15%. And uh, someone was recording him on Twitter. And so uh, whatever, I'm assuming that this was on purpose because it was fairly well framed. So if you go to Derek Sloan's uh, Twitter feed, you can see him making a speech where he says that he's going to create a new unnamed party. A, B, he will, and I quote, we are lighting a match. I'm not sure how that, from a communications perspective, is a good way, positive right. way to engage Canadians. But anyway, he's got people's attention, mm -hmm. and uh, and I think he he referred to this new party slash movement as the greatest patriotic movement Canada has ever seen or will ever see. Right. Sounds right. very uh, confident. But yeah, he also said I think he he didn't want to compete against Maxime Bernier in certain oh, rindings, yeah. something like that as well. Right. Yeah. We don't know. Uh, whether this is serious or significant, because Michael, in our polling, for example, the People's Party is at 4%, but it's a bit of a parking space. Mm -hmm. We're, we've also, because of the way that we do polling, we've been capturing the number of uh, Canadians that mention that they want to vote for the Maverick Party, and there haven't been enough in order to merit them getting above 1%, which means they're not reported because they're in the other category right now. So, uh, so not a big threat, but I think the optics for average Canadians that, you know, under Aaron O'Toole, there's still the People's Party still alive, the Maverick Party's organizing, and this other third party. The optics, even if these parties amount to zilch, diddly squat, mm -hmm. the optics is not good because it just speaks to conservatives not being united. Wow. Um, in terms of uh, other, you know, parties and in, in turmoil, I, I shouldn't say turmoil. It's, you know, it's it's not turmoil, but but the Green Party, uh, Green Party leader Annemi Paul uh, is is trying to get past this this internal fighting that she's got. Um, and we've had this horrible, horrible extreme weather events in in these past weeks. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm I know it actually. It's been really hot in Ottawa, Nick. It's been super hot in Toronto. We've got extreme heat in the West Coast, feeling these wildfires. Northwestern Ontario, we've had wild, wildfires. You'd think that the Green Party would would be able to get out there front and center and talk about this, uh, but but I, I I don't know. It's it's the wrong headlines for her. Absolutely. And, you know, the thing is, so let's set aside the controversy just for just for one second. If you look in the news, there's been significant extreme weather events, mm -hmm. right? Before the pandemic, the environment was the number one issue of concern. And the pandemic concern is going down and, and concern about the environment is going up. And the NDP, sorry, not the NDP, the Green Party have a new leader. So you look at those things. And you think on paper, okay, maybe the Greens are at a moment in time where climate concern about climate change, renewal of the leadership, and all the stuff that's going on could be a moment in time for them to, to make get to the next level beyond mm -hmm. the current number of uh, members of parliament that they have. And then they get in a policy argument over, not over are we too aggressive or doing enough for the environment, 
not over kind of what needs to be done in order to change Canada to hit, you know, net zero targets. Mm -hmm. Policy issues over foreign policy in the Middle East and what I'll say, comments that were made by the uh, leader or apologies that, mm -hmm. that people wanted the leader to make. And, uh, and it's been a significant distraction. And I think for all those Canadians, about three in 10 Canadians that would be open to voting green, they're probably just disappointed in the greens, not, not, not just looking at enemy Paul, but just disappointed in general say, why can't you folks get your act together? Look what's happening. Like Canada is burning and you're suing each other over, yeah. I'll say table stakes, yeah. right? Uh, and petty politics. And, and enemy Paul is trying to, to talk about the, the, the climate change issues um, on her Twitter feed. If, if you go on to her Twitter feed, she, she is talking about it, but, but it just is just getting crowded out by, by this, by this yeah. uh, you know, internal squabbling. And, and until enemy Paul can put this to rest and behind her, it's going to be a distraction because for reporters, every time they do an interview with her, there will be a question related to this. Uh, even if there's another environmental catastrophe, even if she has a brilliant plan, uh, brilliant environmental plan for Canada, uh, this, will, uh, this will be an overhang, a negative overhang. So in the ideal world for the Greens, if they want to do okay or do well in the next federal election, and also for enemy Paul and her political future, they have to put these squabbles behind them and put the, the importance of the environment as an issue ahead of internal squabbles within the party. Because if not, the Green Party will just be irrelevant uh, in the coming election. Uh, Nick, we went way over our five minutes, I think, for our five-ish five, five -ish minutes of yeah. politics chat. But, but uh, that brings us to uh, this week's Upshot. So what do you have for us? Okay, it's a long weekend in many places in Canada. And I would expect, you know, we know that the federal election is coming. I would expect that during this long weekend, um, which I understand that the prime minister is on vacation, <laughs> right. um, but I would expect that this weekend will probably be the weekend when liberal strategists, along with the, the prime minister and the liberal leadership, will be deciding when they might want to trigger an election, whether it's in the first, second, third, or fourth week in terms of, uh, of dropping the writ. So uh, I think technically the prime minister is on vacation, but I don't know, is it a real vacation? Who knows? I know I'm supposed to be on vacation and my wife doesn't believe that I'm on vacation because <laughs> the election's coming. So she can it's, see through it. It's, it's kind of hard to, to relax, Nick, when you, when you know that the election call could be happening at, a, <laughs> at any minute, but. Yeah, it's kind of like, you know that phase of sleep when you're half asleep and half awake and then something yeah. jars you awake and it's called the writ. That's yeah. where that's where we're at right now. We want to go. We want to take a nap. It's part of my old age. Want to take a nap, but I can't because I'm on edge. Because who knows what day the election may come. Oh, you and me both, <laughs> Nick. As always, thank you very much. And uh, where can we find you? On Twitter at Nick N I K Nanos, or if you're interested in lots of stats, go to the website www.nanos.co. And I'm also on Twitter at Michael Siddle, and you can find uh, more information about what Nick and I have discussed in the news stories at ctvnews.ca. Thanks for listening and watching. <laughs> <laughs>